Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and this is episode 18, and it is a special one. I know I say that about all my episodes. I would like to think that they are all special, but this one really is something exciting. This is a reunion of the Fox and Fallon podcast, which if you listen to Almost Shameless, it's very likely that you listened when this was Fox and Fallon. Uh, my former co-host and close friend, Courtney Fallon of the Bad Signal podcast has reunited for a sort of dual broadcast of Fox and Fallon to recap Super Bowl 55. It was an incredible Super Bowl and who better to kind of talk it all over with and flesh all of the crazy drama out with than uh, a close friend and someone I've worked together with for a long time. We were super happy to bring this to you, and we hope you enjoy it. We had, I honestly had so much fun um, doing this, and you know, it's a, it's one thing to host a podcast by yourself, and it's another thing to kind of get into it with someone who you know you debate sports with anyway. So, and I debate I I debate sports with everybody in my life on a regular basis. So, this is essentially just a peek into my daily life. So, you know, you can take that for what you will. But here is my chat with Bad Signals' Courtney Fallon for our Fox and Fallon Super Bowl recap. This is a reunion. Fox and Fallon went on for about a year and a half, and we split to separate coasts. And now Tanya, who works behind the scenes at Fox Sports 1, if you have seen any of the morning shows, Colin Coward and uh, Think for Yourself, First Things First, all of those shows, Tanya is the one that sits back and looks at the talking heads and says, your argument is flawed, yours is flawed. Maybe you should work it this way. Tanya is a brilliant <laughs> Tanya Ray Fox, say hello Introduce to- Introduce me as a genius, and then we're- <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a dual podcast, Bad Signal and Tanya's podcast, Almost Shameless. Find it on Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, comment. My comments, not so nice. My comment section, not- <laughs> Not so nice. Oh, I, thought, I thought you meant you left a mean comment on mine. I was like, why did you do that? Oh, no, 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 no. Because I mean, because that was our I, right? I already had comments. <laughs> it's like on the same feed. <laughs> commented from five different phones to make sure that that number went up. No, I'm, I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about all the one star reviews that are on our page that just like have no comments, which oh, I, I find. I find hysterical. I find mm. hysterical. Well, anyways, what a perfect time to get together with me and my girl, originally from Plymouth, Mass, by the way, for all you mass holes out there. She is born and raised near yeah, the Yeah, I'm not just like a I'm not just like a I'll weird bandwagon like uh Patriots obsessor, like just living in LA like a I I have cred. I, I don't have an accent anymore, but I do have cred. Your mother has the best, um, the best. Boston accent. Oh, possibly the best. the best Boston accent um, imaginable. I really like, there are like quality Matt Damon, Ben Affleck accents. Oh yeah. Your mother just tips them all. I just remember this one time she, I called her, I was having trouble with a guy. She's like, listen, Courtney, that poor bastard. He can't even, he can't get his head out of his ass. <laughs> that poor bastard is... Like she has to say it like 12 times a day. Someday I should have her on my podcast and do that thing they do on TikTok where you make your parents say words like with their accent and it's just, oh. you know, supposed to be funny. I should do that with her because she like people get a kick out of the accent and it's pretty fucking, she's on point. No, she's totally, I mean, there's, there's really no one better. And she's, I mean, passionate, multi-passionate Boston sports fan. You're big on the Bruins. Well, yeah, Tanya, South yeah. Shore. You worked at uh, Comcast Sportsnet, which is now NBC Sports Boston for years. And, uh, you know, you came out to L.A. before I did. So, yeah, I'm the L.A. OG um, of our small little group. And I'm still here living in isolation because Los Angeles is a COVID nightmare. So I'm questioning my decisions at this point, but we'll see what happens. Well, the good news is that we were able to watch the Super Bowl. I was in my apartment. I had some stuff to do for the game day and I, I really, a very unique experience. The first Super Bowl, I was absolutely completely sober. And uh, you know, like literally like the next day as I'm watching the shows, and I'll listen to all sports radio and they're running through specific plays of when Kansas City really 
fucked up. You know, like they had the momentum, the fourth goal, you know, the goal line stand, and then they pulled themselves out with that, you know, 15, 16 yard play at a time. And I'm like going through and I'm like, oh yeah. And then that happened next. <laughs> and then that happened. And I'm like, both guys jumped off sides in the neutral zone infraction. It was, I'm sitting there. I'm like, wow, I'm really, really proud of yourself. Really proud of you. How was your Super Bowl experience? I like, did you eat a lot? It was fucking snowing like 18 inches here, so I couldn't even get it. We did not have, I know, we didn't have snow, but so I mean, it's always better here with that. But yeah, same thing as you. I had to work, so it's like, I had, I'm not gonna lie, I had a hard seltzer or two. Like, you know, I I kept it light, but I also was so, I I don't want to start this podcast off the wrong energy, but. It wasn't the most thrilling game I've ever watched. And I, just like you, am ADD. So it was a lot of looking down at my phone on Twitter and experiencing the game through apps yeah. <laughs> rather than like, I mean, obviously I was watching, I had to watch the whole thing for work, but it's just like, uh, it wasn't my most thrilling day. We were very spoiled because we grew up Patriots fans. So like having an investment in the game is like always kind of built in in so many years and this obviously had the Brady element to it. So I was like, oh, great. Another one where I can really feel like there's some sort of like built in storyline. But the storyline ended up shifting so much. And by the third quarter, it was pretty clear what the games like you were saying, I think like a producer. So I'm like, OK, here here's all the storylines that are coming out of this already. And the number one number one storyline is what the fuck happened to Mahomes? What happened to Patrick Mahomes? Like yeah. what happened to that offense? So I'm going to like, I'm just going to take over and ask you this, Courtney, I'm going to interview you for a second on the show and say, essentially, what, how much blame after watching everything you said, like you said, hearing everybody talk about the game today, next day, whatever, how much blame do you give Patrick Mahomes on a scale of one to 10 for what happened in Super Bowl 55? Here's the thing. Wasn't there a next-gen stat? And I, I'm I'm going to kind of go off the cuff in my head on this one. There was a next-gen stat that said that he scrambled for 500 yards. 500 yards before yeah. he even threw the 498. Mm-hmm. So he rushed for rushed and passed for a total of 1,000 yards. Uh, to me, that game was so mind-numbing uh, in the sense that Patrick Mahomes it was like at the beginning, it was like when you started to see him limp in the second and third quarter, I- I'm thinking to myself like, damn, if your turf toe hurts so much, why the hell are you rushing? And then boom, it hit me. Oh, because Buccaneers defense came like a bat out of hell. So fast. So stacked. And it was absolutely no coincidence that Todd Bowles drummed up exactly the, the exact medicine that was needed to rush Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket. And that poor kid, 24 years old, as great as he is, and, and you know, in the way that he can orchestrate plays downfield, uh, he rushed out of the pocket. It suddenly hit me out, out of adrenaline. It was adrenaline-based. And um, I, I just, to me, how much of this was blamed on Patrick Mahomes? I'd say a one out of 10. I think Patrick Mahomes, when you look at the entire body of work of how well he played in that game, he was fantastic. He was rushing out. He was throwing balls uh, sideways. That's going to be on a poster for all of football eternity. The the play where he's on the sideline, he slinged the ball 30 yards and nearly hit his target. He hit every player that he had. Travis Kelsey, what a disappointment. Balls dropped left and right, hit him in the hands. His coach disappointed him in the way that the, the Kansas City Chiefs were trying to come back. The, 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 I almost said the Patriots. The Bucs were dropping the ball down the field. Yeah, the Bucs were driving the ball down the field. They used three timeouts to, you know, to, to stop the clock so they could get. It was a very questionable place. 95 penalty yards. Now, granted. I, I got to agree with a lot of these penalties. There were there were a lot of phantom flags on this with the defensive p- pass interference, but there were a lot of stupid fucking plays too. And, you know, there were a lot of stupid penalties on the Kansas City. Uh, one of the prop bets I had in this game, Tanya, was that the, 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 uh, the number of penalties for Kansas City was going to be over. They had 95 penalty yards in the first half. You don't mean to tell me. That that didn't that didn't factor in to the way that Mahomes was trying to game manage this game manage everything, and on top of that, 
his fucking offensive line was like it was like a colander sieve. Like they were literally playing like a cheesecloth. Okay, you know, yeah. no tackles on either side. Shaq Barrett played the game of his life. Devin White, the rookie, played the game of his life. Uh, you know, 15 tackles. JPP was unstoppable. Vita Bea, the way that he was getting pressure off the edge, uh, he just completely changed the entire complexity of the game. So, you know, if you can look on both sides of the ball, you say, yeah, Brady had a nearly perfect game. But, you know, the defense deserved the MVP call for the Kansas City Chiefs. And a lot of that had to do with their their ability to pressure Patrick Mahomes. Um, but outside of that, I mean, he did everything that he could. I will say, coming off of what you're saying, I don't disagree, I don't think, with anything you just said. I I think philosophically I feel different about Mahomes' role specifically in this game. I will say it doesn't change what I think about Patrick Mahomes as a player. I think he is the best NFL player. I think he is the best quarterback playing right now. That that doesn't change. I never thought it changed any other, you know, any other quarterback's career. I thought it was always crazy when people judged Tom Brady off of one game. And I, even if it's a Super Bowl, I'm not going to judge Patrick Mahomes off of one game. I say I give him a little bit more blame, just a little bit. I'm going to give him a two or a three, and here's why. Patrick Mahomes, part of the way that offense is structured is structured around Patrick Mahomes' ability to scramble outside of the pocket and to function in these like high-pressure situations. Of course, you can't make up for a bad offensive line. like You can't. That was tough to watch. Pressured 57% of the snaps. It was brutal. But you adjust to what is thrown your way. And he made some beautiful plays that didn't come through. There were drops that the it, it was uh, tough. I, and that's why I'm only giving him two to three. But we give him so much credit when they are succeeding. So much credit. We talk yeah. about him as baby goat. We put him as baby Yoda to, to Brady's Yoda going into this with the memes. We talk about him like he is the greatest challenger to Tom Brady's legacy that we have ever seen. But when Tom Brady was in his first Super Bowl against the Rams, overmatched against the greatest show on turf when the defense needed him to show up and score points he did it and he was a kid just like Patrick Mahomes you this is a very difficult thing to say because it makes it sound like I think worse of Patrick Mahomes after after this game and I don't and you know another thing that hasn't been mentioned yet is that the coaching yesterday on the Chiefs was worse than it's ever been for Patrick Mahomes. You, we don't see bad coaching like that in big games from Andy Reid and his staff. It was awful. The mismanagement of the timeouts before the second half was like yeah. mind-boggling. It felt like old Andy Reid again. Remember how we used to deal with that with Andy Reid when he yeah. was on the Eagles? The Super Bowl against the Eagles, that was like the Andy Reid thing was like, this guy can't figure out the in-game stuff. He's such yeah, a brilliant Clock management. Exactly. And so that was, yeah. And so that, you know, that, of course, you see all those elements, but Patrick Mahomes, you're the $500 million man. You, yeah. You have to find a way to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. You have to do it. If you have to do it yourself, if you have to throw the ball and catch it, like Giselle said back in the day, then you do it. You're the $500 million man. You are the only way this offense has a chance. And it just didn't happen. Like you said, the turf toe was there, but somehow he was still moving around. It was, and that little old man jog he does that we've talked about before that they've been talking about ahead of this game. He's not, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not running 25 miles an hour. He could have, he could have functioned. And so with all of the failures of the team, I absolutely, you always have to put a little bit on the quarterback because they get so much credit when things are going well. Right. And that's just how I feel. Here's the caveat that I have. Did I say that properly? Caveat. They did. You nailed it. Uh, yes, yes. Tanya's Tanya's like Tanya teaches me all these um, funny English sayings and all the. I mean, I'm saying funny English sayings. Like I didn't know what uh, going heel meant for a while. Oh yes, yeah, wrestling in terms. I mean, she'll she'll say something, and I'm like, wait, what does that mean? She educates. <laughs> all right. The caveat that I have here is um, Julius Peppers after the game sent out a tweet, and he said, "There you go." There's the blueprint. It'll never be the same. Now, mm-hmm. the Chiefs inevitability, yeah, it has a big, big black eye right on that game plan. And I just, the problem with me that I have right here is to say that the Chiefs, um, you know, inevitability is just going to, is all of a sudden exposed, is, give, is discrediting all of the defensive 
coordinators and the coaches that had really just exposed them during the season. I had a hot take earlier in maybe around October, November. The Chiefs were not that good. And their offensive line was struggling. They were getting behind in games. And to me, with all of the experts and the media going out on record and saying, you cannot find a bad game tape on Patrick Mahomes. If they're going back to, what are you talking about? Did you watch, did you watch that game against the Dolphins? Where he literally looked like he was, uh, his head was twisted 180 degrees backwards. I, right. I can remember watching that game where he threw three interceptions. They turned the ball over four times. He was running all over the field like a turkey with his head cut off. And everyone was like, yo, is Mahomes drunk? Did he party on South Beach last night? Uh, the the Kansas City Chiefs had a fatal flaw this entire season. And because we genuflect to Mahomes and how good he is, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to take discredit him in any way, but exactly on what you were saying, because we honor and worship him in the way that he has played over the last three years, the way he has risen to stardom, only starting in three out of his four seasons in the NFL, uh, a lot of that gets overlooked. The Kansas City Chiefs hadn't covered a game since week eight. And I know that you're saying, oh, you know, like big games and big spreads. Like, no, we're, we're talking spreads that are not double-digit spreads because you get those double-digit spreads late in the season when it's like the Chiefs playing the Jets, 18, okay? They didn't even cover that. Uh, we're talking about like six, seven, eight. Like, they're not blowing people out. And – when I'm looking back and kind of thinking the New England Patriots in 2007, when they had that prolific offense with Randy Moss and they set every record and Bill Belichick had no mercy, like the Chiefs were not blowing people out. They were not exerting their dominance early in the season. And it became a problem because as I watched Patrick Mahomes mid to late in that season, it was like a fucking kid playing with his food. It, it was like, hey, like Jameis Winston at Florida State. Hey, the first half, we're going to kind of take off and we're going to kind of freelance and all this. Oh, I have to start playing football? Well, that's great. These are things yeah. that I saw about, I mean, literally, that's why I hate Jameis Winston. Because when I was in Miami covering the covering the Canes, it was like, dude, who does this kid think he is? And I don't think it has anything to do with Patrick, with, with Mahomes and his ego, right. and so to speak, but literally was like, oh, hey, wait, I have to go play a football game. He was distracted. And like, I just, I, I saw this in them throughout the season. And I hope that he kind of goes into this off season and really looks at the tactics and the preparation and just the way that his vision has seen the field. And something's got to change because he was not a perfect quarterback throughout this season. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a good point because it actually gives him a little bit of slack you know, that the fact that like you, even as good as anybody is, they can't overcome a team with, with fatal flaws. And, you know, that leads into something that we want to talk about, obviously, which is Brady. And I, I'm going to use my colleague, Nick Wright, as an example of someone who I think went a little too far trying to overcorrect some bad takes. He filled in for Colin Coward today. And he was definitely, you know, he was, he was out there saying, you know, I'm, I'm wrong. I've been messing this up the whole time. Like I was wrong. He admitted that. But I think he overcorrected and he said, you know, Tom Brady is the system and he could have gone to any team in the NFL and made them Super Bowl contenders immediately. And I was like, my eyebrows raised and I'm like, hold on. Now, you and I, Courtney, we are both about as complimentary to Tom Brady as you can be. Yes, we grew up fans, but we are also in the media. We have learned to have hard conversations about our, the teams we love and the players we love. But like, you know, we're both here. We're on the GOAT train. We have been for a while. He's got six rings, then seven. Great. What does he have to prove? I think now people are taking it a little too far. Are people giving Tom Brady now too much credit for coming on to a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and taking them to a Super Bowl? Or is this like, is he? Yeah, is he the system? Could he have done this anywhere? Here's the thing that a lot of people are overlooking. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not a bad fucking team, okay? And the reason that he left New England, it was over money and money and disrespect and him wanting to be locked up for 40 until he was age 45. And Belichick, he just said, hey, give me that $25 million raise contract. They wouldn't give it to him. And hitting the open market and being lured by a number of different teams or maybe just one or two, 
overlooking him. Uh, there was a reason that Jason Light, who is from the Belichick coaching tree, who has drafted tremendously notable draft picks in Tampa since 2014. Mike Evans, Ali Marpet, Chris Godwin, Vita Bea, Devin White, Tristan Wirfs. I, I mean, all they needed was a quarterback, and Jameis Winston wasn't the guy. Jameis Winston was still putting up phenomenal numbers. Uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, back when I covered it, NFL Network were good five years ago. So are we giving Tom too much credit? Um, No, because his defense played their asses off. I would say it was about 50% Brady in that Super Bowl, 25% the defense, and you know the rest to uh, coaching and to his to his weapons. And so you're saying, I mean, essentially you are saying that people are giving Brady too much credit because they're saying that this team, what is, they're basically insinuating that Tom Brady turned around a lowly team no. that couldn't, a seven and nine, blah, blah, blah. And that's where I'm having an issue, right? Which is like exactly what you said. This yeah. team was top five defensive DVOA last year. This is a team that just like the 2018 Patriots, took the second half of their season and really clamped down their pass defense. As soon as JPP came back from injury last season, it was a new kind of pass defense. Their run defense was elite and their offensive line already had Ali Marpet. And then they draft Tristan Wirfs. And it's, I mean, this is, this was a team like you just said that mm -hmm. all they needed was a quarterback. Now, does a quarterback come into, does just any good quarterback come into that team and take them to, this, to a Super Bowl? No, but that's why Brady is so special because yeah. he comes in, he's been to nine Super Bowls before this. He knows everything it takes. He never, seven and five on the season. Guys, we've got all November and December. Don't worry about this. Like, this is where things get going. This is where things get interesting. Mm -hmm. He has everything you need when you have young, talented players, all the guys you just mentioned, when you have guys who are all pro, pro bowl talent, and all they need is the extra glue. You have Todd Bowles, who is a, an incredible defensive coordinator. You have Bruce Arians, who is a, a locker room guy, who is willing to give his team what they need. Tom Brady coming in and fixing the offense a bit. It was a lot of things. But to say that Tom Brady could have done this anywhere, to me, actually is taking away from Brady what he does best, which is he went to the Bucs because he knew they were a team he could win with because he is the best quarterback in the NFL in the history of the NFL at understanding team building and how to win a Super Bowl because Bill Belichick taught him that and he will never forget it. He will never forget what it looks like to put together a team that has depth, has playmakers, has camaraderie and belief. All of the stuff that he's learned, that's what makes him special. He's his arm isn't the most brilliant. He has never, he is an absolute legend when it comes to understanding what it takes to win, regardless of how good he is. He can have the best season in the history of the NFL and lose to the Giants. This, he knows this. And I, I hate the idea that people are taking that away from him. Like he just took a bunch of garbage idiots, sprinkled fairy dust on them and took them to a magical Super Bowl win. Those guys deserve everything that they did. And they, and Brady deserves the credit for being the coagulant for all of them to come together. I, I see so much of his losses over the years in in these wins. He holds on to every loss and remembers how it happened and what they needed and where they lacked and how he lacked. And he brings that to a new place. He would never have gone to a team that couldn't do this. He believed in this team and these guys and this coaching staff. And that's what makes him special. Not that he would just go anywhere. I, I a plus to everything that you just said. And I have to just add kind of a sprinkle to the top with a cherry. A lot of people are kind of forgetting the back and forth that he and Bruce Arians had at the beginning of the season. And we're still in a COVID year. I found it to be very, very interesting that Tom Brady, they asked him, how, what was it like to play in a pandemic? Was it hard or was it easy? And he said, you know what? This is like football for dummies. Anyone that is obsessed with football and that loves the game of football, there aren't many distractions when you're playing in a pandemic. You don't have Tuesday 
um, you know, community days on, on the franchises. You're not doing, you know, not going out to events and signing things. I mean, it's literally the NFL, the X's and O's, the going out, the practice, the weight rooms, and then it's going back home. So uh, Tom Brady took it upon himself, the earnest, to go down to Tampa Bay and break the rules of the pandemic and, and host a, a bunch of his wide receivers at a private school, which, by the way, one of the funniest storylines of the offseason, Tanya, was when the cops came to uh, to tell him to break it up and told Tom <laughs> at the park. <laughs> Oh, Tom Brady in a park, sir, I'm so sorry. You can't play football down here. Said no cop in Boston ever. What cop in Boston? Also, like, whatever. Can I just, I just love the fact that he has a mansion, but he needs the public park. Like, my guy, get a bigger yard. We saw your yard in Boston. You got to get that big space. Come on. You know what? I know how it is. I lived in Florida for four years. Uh, You know, uh, when your heart's... When you're living in a community like that, you're backed up against the water. It's you you pay for you pay for the square footage that's on the bay in the backyard. Mm-hmm. You don't pay for the actual grass. So um, you know, you go to that private school, you get the crab grass, you build the continuity that you need in a locker room. It is crabgrass. What do you? Are you? No, I'm. I'm dying laughing just thinking about the fucking. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm grass. talking yeah. about. It's not yeah. real grass. It's like the, the yeah. like the three inch thick grass that just. I hate feels it. Feels like feels like needles on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, earlier in the season, there was a lot. Brady did a lot to wrangle in this locker room. This was not a perfect team. And correct me if I'm wrong, Tanya. Have you heard of this before? That over the course of the season, this defense was not at Super Bowl capacity. They were not the talent level that they hit on last night's game, uh, you know, midseason. They gradually got better week after week and stronger and stronger throughout the postseason, where they had to go on the road for three games, by the way, and knock off. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we have to, we, that is so much Todd Bowles. I, he know, was so no, incredible. What I'm saying is, for Brady to come in and overcome all of the bullshit in the media, and I'm saying bullshit because I just think that what Bruce Arians was doing to Brady earlier in the year was just absolute crap. Oh, that interesting. Hey, coach, what did you call? I'm on the quarterback, man. He just deferred every mistake imaginable in the season. And that's on Tom. To really just rally the locker room, then you know, then yeah. they inserts Antonio Brown. He does all of this. So you know, I just, I mean, listen, you got to give credit to Brady, but you also have to give credit to um, the house where they built everything. And I think that again, he's been doing this for twenty years. We saw that on the field during the Super Bowl, where uh, you know Tom is screaming in the lock. You know, he's screaming in the huddle in the last two minutes of the game where they're taking kneels. Those kids were partying and he's screaming and he's like, oh, focus. Wait, I meant to ask you, did you see? So people, I I was like, I have to ask Courtney this on the podcast. What? Did you see people on the internet talking about during that scuffle with uh, Tyron Matthew and they were going back and forth. A bunch of people on Twitter were like, I've never seen Brady like this. I've never seen. And I was like, what? 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 Brady like this. This is Oh god! Like, shit. I thought it was so funny. I'm like, were you guys? I I, I feel no, like people no. have finally taken their glass like glasses off and are seeing Brady for like the super uber competitive like not like he's not he was never a pushover. It's just wild. I thought that that was crazy that people had never seen him yell. He was like always talking crap. Uh, you know, one of the best things in this interview after we do our part for the Fox and Fallon almost shameless bad signal um you know collaboration here I interview Rob Ninkovich two-time Super Bowl champion he played with Tom Brady and one of the greatest things about uh you know covering Tom over the years is his level of competitiveness and maybe people are just finally taking the blindfold off and you know uh, we're going to talk about that in our next segment and maybe we'll just jump right to it but the Brady haters that are finally just coming to grips and uh you know just realizing that yeah he is the greatest of all time and I was wrong and the level of of greatness that this quarterback is that he has cemented his throne uh, in Canton and above and beyond forever 
and it's not going to get taken away from them. So, so finally, they're just, you know, chewing their eyes into the subtle nuances of Tom Brady playing his game. And that shocks them. Yeah. So, you know, congratulations. Uh, you got a couple of uh, stacks of books that you got to read before you really get into the conversation <laughs> of knowing what Tom Brady's game is about and how you can decipher between what is Tom and what is the Patriot way and how you can divide either or. Um, right. But, you know, from all this MAGA and Trump to Deflategate, and which has pretty much been debunked, by the way, I, I, did you know the quarterback that loved to deflate footballs during postseason runs more than Tom Brady? Peyton Manning. <laughs> Actually, like, for a proven fact that uh, the Indianapolis Colts deflated footballs more than the New England Patriots or whenever they did. I mean, what cold weather, I've whatever. i never cared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. all these people, I've been getting messages out of the blue from some of these people that I literally just read and leave them on read about nitpicking his romantic life, going all the way back to, hey, he got his girl, he cheated on his pregnant girlfriend. Shut the fuck up. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go. I, that was inappropriate of me. Um, but really shut the fuck up. Like, no, I, I, I don't know what else you're supposed to say. Matter. You're talking about something that happened 15 years ago. Why don't we talk about Tom Brady when he dated Tara Reed? Anyways, uh, well, uh, what is it about Tom Brady right now that just really brings the psycho out of people? What is it yeah. that the nerve that just, can you pinpoint it for me, Tanya? Cause I, I just, I, I need an explanation. Okay. So this is my theory. It's a working theory. I've been coming up with it for a while. I think that basically everyone alive right now over the age of like 10 to 12 has been personally victimized by Tom Brady, unless they are a Patriots fan or a Bucks fan, right? Like if you've been alive for the last 20 years and cared about football, you have been personally, you've had your day, week, season ruined by Tom Brady. You've had your heart broken. You've lost millions, whatever it is. You, he has ruined you because the, he has made an entire two decades out of haunting the dreams of NFL fans. And thus, you know, these are people, these people have families, they have kids, they have to deal with the aftermath of Tom Brady's wreckage every time he ruins someone's day, week or year. Right. So this is over the course of time. People are sick of watching someone else kick the crap out of their favorite team. People love to hate a winner because after a while you want to see something different. You want to see something new. So it's a combination of all that stuff. He has become the bad faith brigades, number one target. Okay. This is one of those English terms that I told you that Tanya is teaching me. Can you explain what a bad faith comment is? What is yes. a bad faith comment? So a bad faith comment is essentially what you run into on Twitter, basically on a regular basis, which is I'm going to enter into this discussion with the intent of being like disingenuous. I'm going to come in with a argument I don't necessarily believe, or I'm going to deflect, or I'm going to distract because all I really want out of this is to make you mad. I don't know if I actually believe what I'm saying. And that's bad faith because you're saying it from a place where you don't even necessarily believe it, but you want the other person to be mad that you said it. And that's where the deflate gate, everybody knows deflate gate was, wasn't real. Everybody knows anybody with a brain in their head knows deflate gate wasn't real, but now they like to bring it up bad faith because it's a, it's a way to make a Patriots fan or a Brady fan mad. And I think that that's why Brady has become the number one target because he's taken away all the real things to hate. He's taken them all away. He will not stop winning. He comes out and he has this beautiful family that he loves. Every teammate loves him. Robert Kraft's there in another team's box rooting on his surrogate son. He hasn't even talked to Donald Trump. He doesn't get into politics, so you can't hate him for that anymore. Tiger Woods is at the White House. Where's Tom Brady? Not at the White House. He stays the hell out of it. So he takes that away from you. He takes it away, and you slowly wither away until all of the hatred starts to eat you alive. That is what has happened. I have an apology form that I used on my Instagram today. And it's, uh, you know, I can't take full credit for it. It's from ESPN PR. So uh, it's like a fill out for school if you're like in middle school or high school, but now this is just for adults. Um, uh, This is the reason for your flippant Tom Brady behavior. I was tired of seeing him win a couple of bad games at age 43, 
Uh, but you are a Peyton Manning fan. You are a fan of an AFC East team. I don't know football. I thought he'd be retired by now. <laughs> just encapsulates every reason why people will hate them. I'm sure that Tom just fueled, he's, he's fueled off the, off the hatred. He's fueled off of the negative comments. You don't think that he was fueled by the fact that Bill Belichick didn't think that he could play football anymore? That's the basis of every reason that he wanted to play this year. Let's smudge and clear the energy for those haters. And I'm so glad that we're kind of purging the hatred for everyone. We're finally at the point of the threshold that everyone needs to step up and realize you're wrong. (laughs) It's so funny. Yeah, him and Nick right today were like, oh boy, I don't know what to do. But it is, it's funny, man. Like people also forget that Brady is, I said this on Twitter recently, he's a ditz. He's super ditzy. Like in when you're talking about locker room and you're talking about football, he's an absolute genius. Don't get me wrong. But he is a ditz. The man walked into the wrong house as soon as he arrived in Tampa to go find his OC. He doesn't know where he is. He has lost touch. Like he's going to forget his mask. The man is like not, he's, he's the, he is the friend who gets distracted by the butterfly while you're driving. And you're like, dude, keep your eyes on the road. He's just a dance. Like it's, it's so funny. Everybody thinks he's like this maniacal businessman and all this stuff. And it's like, he really just follows rules. That's like, he, he just follows the rules when he's outside of that stadium. People tell him what to do. He tries his best to do it. I love the guy. I, honestly, he's he's a ridiculous person. Like, don't let him have so much power in your life, people. Let it go. Let it go. Like Princess Elsa once said, just let it go. The last segment that we like to do, Tanya, and although we're not doing Give Me More, Go Away, or Would You Rather, kind of our uh, our signature our signature gimmicks and rants. We are doing uh, a Super Bowl specific one. And yes, the Brady ball washing will continue. So, uh, I mean, I don't even think anyone that's listening to this podcast is not a, not in support of the Patriots because you're going to listen to an interview with Rob Nikovich after this. Um, Brady now has seven right. rings. means, you know, one for every finger that JPP has on his hand. That's, that's the first interesting <laughs> one. Um, and, you know, one for every day of the week. So, uh, given that, we're going to assign each ring to its corresponding weekday. I- I'm going to let you kick this one off because I think we agree to disagree on a couple of things here. All right. So 36, we're going to start. We're going to go consecutively. So the way that it okay. makes sense, 36, they beat the Rams. They they get over this hump, right? They get over this hump of like, we haven't won a Super Bowl. We have got this amazing defense. We're coming up on this greatest show on turf no one thinks we can do it underdogs like it just feels like it's never gonna end like the the misery is never gonna end it's gonna be 1985 and 1996 all over again and they get over the hump courtney that's a wednesday that's a wednesday that's hump day. you've got to get over the hump day to get to the good stuff I agree with you. 14 point underdogs going into that Super Bowl. I felt like the entire season was a game of inches where destiny weaved them along like the chariot. It was a chariot road. It was a game of destiny. Of course, the Moloist hit that took Drew Bledsoe out and Tom Brady maintained. And every single game in that season, there was a reason that they were 11 and five. They took the wild card route. They went all the way to the Super Bowl and damn, they won. So if it wasn't for one thing that led to another, you know, you need that Wednesday. (laughs) It's literally like the... It's the it's yeah. the connector. It's the connector that choose your destiny wisely. If you if you slack off and you're lazy, then you're gonna have a shit end of your week. But if you push through and you do all of your assignments and you you really put into that presentation that you needed, you're gonna have a great week. So Wednesday it is. Tanya, yes. the next one, the Patriots and the Panthers. This was the shootout with Jake DeLome. I remember, I think yeah. Steve Smith Sr. was in this uh, was in this Super Bowl. Julius Peppers, Super Bowl 38. This is when Tom Brady really emerged as a passer. This was the first of two consecutive Super Bowls that the Patriots put together. You can remember in 2003, this was when their secondary was, you know, they got rid of Lawyer Malloy and they still had everyone in their prime and Ty Law and... Um, you know, people really realized that Tom Brady had the arm and the weapons that he needed. So, you know, this is kind of like that surprise 
holy shit moment. I, I got I got Monday on this one. I got Monday. You don't wake up at eight in the morning and kind of get your day straight. I don't know. Maybe you were hungover on the Sunday. You watch a little too much football. And all of a sudden, Zoom meeting after Zoom meetings after, it's just going to hit you in the face and it's going to come like a bat out of hell. So Monday it is for Super Bowl 38. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mondays are it. Mondays are a hit or miss day. You can establish the week of your life with a Monday. You can say, I'm here to stay. You thought I was some sort of Peyton Manning understudy? Uh-uh, baby, it's Monday. It's that kind of Monday. That's what you can do with a Monday. That's what he did against Jake DeLome and the Panthers. He was like, defense, I got you. I can do this. Boom, yeah. Monday, coming at you for the week. I got it. What's next? Super Bowl 39, Patriots and Eagles. This was the second half of the Super Bowl. I I can just remember this Super Bowl being kind of breezy and um this was against Jonathan McNabb. This kind of reminds me of a Saturday. This is a back-to-back. Patriots knew they were going to take it. They knew that they were going to cement their dynasty. So Saturday to me is like a day of pure joy. It's the day of rest. God's yes. day of rest. And um this is the day that everyone kind of gets together. You got brunch, you got Saturday afternoon farmer's market, shopping, going out to the park. You know, this is the one that you can live on for weeks. It's kind of like, wow, this is the Super Bowl that we're going to remember for weeks and weeks, well, years and years and decades to come because the Patriots 03-04 championships, the last time a Super Bowl team repeated. Yeah, I I think I actually agree on this one because Saturday is the day. It's like if you have a great three-day weekend, let's say, you know, Saturday is always the best day of that weekend. Yep. And this was a three-day weekend. You you know, I mean, granted, our three-day weekend is now made up of a Wednesday, Monday, and a Saturday. But it is the best day of that trio. You're like, this is the one where we have no obligations or responsibilities. We just have, we're here to just like, remember, like you said, carry it in. Uh, we've talked about this. We've had some long stretches of shitty days in 2020 into 2021, but you remember the good, the best day, the most recent best day, and you sail all the way to 2014 with that day. You hold on to it for dear life, and that's what it was. I completely agree. Tanya, why don't you take Super Bowl 49? So I think this is where we diverge a little bit. I think this game is a Thursday. Now, Thursday can be, especially when you're younger, it can be a great day. It can be it's basically an extra weekend day. It yeah. is it, it is a surprise, though. Most of the times when you have a great Thursday night, it's like, I wasn't planning on this, but here we go. I guess this is what we're doing. We're doing a thirsty Thursday. We're partying tonight. We're doing whatever. Like, tonight's the night, but I wasn't planning on it, but I'm going to do it. I don't care if I have to work tomorrow. Like, I'm going to do it. I know it's last minute. And to me, that's how this Super Bowl was. It was like... Are we gonna are we gonna start a new dynasty right now? Like, do we? I don't know, man. We it's been a while. Like, do we really want to do this? And yeah. then you're like, oh, I don't know. And Malcolm Butler was like, "Baby, you're coming out tonight. You're coming okay. out tonight. I, I it's can a feel Thursday." That. I can feel that. Patriots Seahawks to me was a grind to the very end. The, the Patriots they scored and they gave a, a little too much time to Russell Wilson and this and the Seahawks offense that got a massive chunk play with shades of David Tyree. Jermaine Curse was like a, a two-tap miraculous catch. So I mean, to me, this seems like the lead up to the five o'clock bell on a Friday for happy hour. And like, you are just like sweating and sweating. You know that you have to get that that sad assignment in for your boss or your teacher right before that bell rings. And and you just know like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose. And then bam, Malcolm Butler, he intercepts that ball at the goal line. And then all of a sudden everyone is free and there's jubilant celebration and you know, everything else is history. Okay. So next we got, what, Falcons. We got Super Bowl 51. That's the big one. We diverge on this one too, which is crazy because this is the most iconic Super Bowl of all time. And we have assigned it to different days, two, okay. two different iconic days I, now. I, I think everyone knows what happened during the Super Bowl 51, Patriots and Falcons, 28 to 3. I'm not even going to go into the details. This was the greatest football game possibly of all time. I, I'm talking about Super Bowl game. Greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. This belongs with a nice crown on a Sunday because Sundays to me, I know a lot of people go to church. My church 
is an NFL football game. Watching an NFL game on a Sunday, then what could be better than encapsulating everything that, it, you know, that is the game of the NFL uh, on a Sunday? And to me, this game represents greatness. And greatness is Sunday afternoons, 1 o'clock, 10 a.m. if you're in L.A., however you watch the game, that's just what I think. I love that. I love, I love that it's church for you. I, I respect your Sunday. I respect your Sunday. But for me, for me in my life, yes, this game was a Friday. This game, okay. Friday, you work on Friday. You, 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 it's like a half a weekend. Like, you know, you can do something with your night, but it starts out. It's a grind. You're ready. You're ready for it to be done. Like you're like, you still have stuff to do and you don't want to do it. And then you get to that Friday and it's like, can I pull this day out? Like, can I really like make this work for me? You know, do I want to put everything off until tomorrow? Do I really have it in me to make a, make a night out of this? And to me, there's something so special about not knowing what could happen with a day like that. You could make it your own. And there is the Falcon Super Bowl is like, is like, everything that could possibly go wrong and right on that day on that like it's like your boss yelled at you you're worried you're gonna get fired you leave you're feeling crappy you're like there's no way and then you get home and you are like okay i'm gonna try to make this better i'm gonna try to salvage this night and that night you fly to las vegas on a private jet and win two million dollars on a slot machine and you're like this is this could only happen on a Friday. This can't happen on a Sunday when people are resting. You can't fly to Vegas and win two million dollars on a day of rest. This is a a manic, crazy game, just like Friday. All right, finishing off, rounding out. We're at ring number six. six. Ring number six. Last with the Patriots. Patriots and Rams. To me, this was just kind of your building block. Pretty boring ass game. Defensive minded game. Um, it would have a much different feel if one of the greatest, actually most underrated plays, by the way, during this game was um, uh, Brandon Cook's wide open or streaking to the end zone. And then Jason McCourty coming out of absolute nowhere and tipping that ball. I actually just rewatched that football game because I have the uh, the ESPN app and I, for some reason, couldn't stream the Bruins game. So I watched a bunch of the Super Bowls and that was just terrific. To me, this Patriots-Rams game, kind of boring, defensive-minded, low scoring. Of course, there was a tremendous amount of respect between Bill Belichick and Sean McVay. This is your standard, typical, 9-5, to wake-up, Groundhog Day kind of bullshit game. Uh, you know, granted, hey, listen, it's not bullshit. You want a Super Bowl, but this is a Tuesday for me. Yeah. Typical after your Monday, after that rush, and all of a sudden, you know, that Patriots Rams 14 point underdog day hits you like a hits you like a ton of bricks. Now you're building bricks. You're building bricks, and you're like, listen, I got to get through my week. Can't you can't fuck around. So this is a Tuesday to me. I I absolutely love that you called it a building block because that's what Tuesday is like. To, like I mean, Rams Rams Patriots was a was a Tuesday ass game. It yeah, was. It was a, it's like you need it. You need it as part of the whole. Like you gotta, you gotta grind through. You gotta learn how to grind through a Tuesday to appreciate yeah. the Thursdays and the Fridays and the Saturdays. You need the Tuesday to give you context, and yeah. that's what that's what Rams Patriots gave us, you know. And there's every once in a while you get a nice little, like I mean that McCourty play is one of the greatest plays to me. I will never forget it. It it was as thrilling as anything I've ever watched in a Super oh, Bowl. I, thought, I knew that was. I'm sorry. Sorry. Continue. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but that was, but there's, you know, that was just one little moment that I'll remember forever. And, and otherwise, you know, it's like, I'll, like you said, I'll take it. I'm not going to like, if you, if you're telling me I, I can have a good Tuesday or I can have no day at all, I'm going to take a good Tuesday. Okay. Bucks and Chiefs to me, finishing off, rounding out number seven. Would this be the thumb? The, 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 the JPP's thumb or, you know, oh, poor JPP. <laughs> poor JPP. I'm sorry. He shouldn't be getting the butt of this. He played his ass off. Bucks and Chiefs to me is, uh, is it's a Thursday. This is a Thursday game. This game was the largest margin of victory for Tom Brady in any Super Bowl imaginable. 22 points. 
the way that he sliced through, uh, you know, this Chiefs offense, it took them a couple of drives to get going. But once he got going, I mean, you knew that 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 Bucks offense was just motoring along. They were figuring out a way to thread the needle and move the chains down the field. Uh, Brady, I had a stat that I looked up because I was watching the numbers because I'm following all the prop bets and all that stuff. So Brady was 24. 20 of 24 for 198 yards. And it was near perfect through the third quarter. And, uh, you know, this was kind of his, I'm not saying he's a cakewalk, but this was kind of like your celebration. Once that hit that fourth quarter, you knew where the game was headed. So, I mean, this is super light, super fun. Thursday night is a great night for me to go out with my friends. Thursday night, let's hit the town. Let's enjoy ourselves. And, you know, who cares if that Friday hits you in the face in the morning? Exactly, exactly. Well, this is my only day is left that's left and I and I say it proudly, this game is the Sunday. This game uh, is it is the accumulation of everything you've worked for all week. It is, you know, this game for Brady as much as I hate it as a as a lifelong Patriots fan. Mm-hmm. This game is his pièce de résistance. This is his final like little day of like reckoning and I truly do believe that even though he didn't need it to become the goat this was what he needed himself to like finish his career if he doesn't win another one he it doesn't matter it never mattered but when he left that was his goal and like if you're gonna finish you're gonna finish on top on a Sunday you're gonna take everything you learned Monday through Saturday, and you're going to make that day, that day of rest. You're the GOAT. You're going to remind people there's never, there's never truly rest. And like you and me, Courtney, we, we've worked on Sunday our whole lives. We yeah. don't have Sundays off. Sundays off, who's that for? That's like you said, those are for church people and accountants. We don't yeah. get that day off. We're like Tom Brady. We work on Sundays. That's when we do our best shit. So you know what? Congratulations to him. He... He did something you're not supposed to be able to do. It's it's got to be on it's got to be on the on the day of football. He he created a new a new type of sports legend on the best sports day. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people, a lot of polls saying is Tom Brady one of the top three or top one greatest athletes of all time? I wouldn't necessarily go there, but um, at this point, it's got to be in the conversation. Tanya Ray Fox of Fox Sports One. I mean, listen, we did it. We did it. We did it. Fox and Fallon reunited. This can be seen on uh, Bad Signal podcasts, on uh, Almost Shameless. What do you typically like to do? I mean, for me, I right now, because I don't have a producer, at least full time, to just jump on, it's just more of an interview show for me. So, yeah. Uh, but I really miss, I, I like doing this. I miss going through the hot takes, and um, this was fun. Thanks for joining. Yeah, this was great. I'm really glad we got to do it post-Super Bowl. I couldn't have thought of a better person to do it with. We, Like you said, we would have been doing this anyway, And no one would have gotten to hear our amazing hot takes. Thank you again, Courtney, for setting this up. And I'm so excited for everybody to to see our reunion. This was like super, super fun.